Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. When we talk about evangelism in the church, specifically here in America, so often, I guess the most common name you're probably going to hear, especially at least in our church as well, is none other than Ray Comfort, who has been sharing the gospel for a number of years. I don't want to give his age away just yet, but nonetheless, we are so blessed to have our friend, our brother in Christ, Ray Comfort, on the Good Fight Radio Show. God bless you, Ray. Appreciate being here. Thanks for a kind introduction. Well, you know what? I am excited, and I can say, you know, personally, that your ministry has had a major effect. In fact, I came to the Lord, and I know you know Pastor Joe Schimmel really well, and I came to the Lord through his video, They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll, uh, when I was an atheist. But before I came to the Lord that night, I had a friend share with me the good person test. And that was something that you guys... I don't want to say come up with, you got it from scripture, but nonetheless, the good person test had a major effect on me and my co-host Nico, who we'll be talking to a little bit later. But before I get into that, I just wanted people to know how much of an effect you've had on me and now that I've been able to use that all over the world to share the gospel. But that's my, you know, short version of a testimony. I'd love for people to hear how evangelist Ray Comfort came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I was uh, born twice in New Zealand, uh, been living in the U.S. for 32 years, I think, but originally from New Zealand, and uh, I was very happy as a non-Christian, incredibly happy. Uh, had my own house at the age of 20, had my own business. People ask, what do you do for a living? I'd say, I mind my own business. What do you do? It was a surf shop and a leatherware shop. I used to make leather jackets to order for people, and at the age of about 21, I had an epiphany, and that is... Happy though I was, secure though I was financially, I figured out that we're waiting around to die. All of us. doesn't matter who we are. We're part of the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten die. And I thought, this is like being on death row. You're waiting in a holding cell. You've got a big blue roof. You've got good air conditioning, good lighting. But this life is a holding cell. And I really had a Solomon experience. If you read Ecclesiastes, Solomon said he had done everything. I mean, he, he certainly had, if you see his, uh, his testimony, his biography. Um, but he said it's vanity. It's like chasing the wind, all because of one thing, and that, that is death. And uh, I felt as I was in a line waiting to step off a thousand-foot cliff, and I was leaning out of the line saying, I wonder if there's any way to get out of this line. And I, and I never even verbally shared my thoughts with anyone. And one night, as my I looked at my... Uh, wife would be married about a year, Sue, and she'd gone to sleep, and I just wept at the thought of her dying or me dying and leaving her. And life took on a sense of futility deep within my heart, happy though I was. Sounds funny, but it's true. And then six months later, I realized that even though when I cried out why and wept, uh, God heard my prayer. Now, I believed in God, prayed the Lord's Prayer every night out of a habit. But I wasn't born again. I wasn't a Christian. Didn't even know, didn't even know you could become a Christian. And uh, that night, 
uh, I met a young Christian guy on a surfing trip, and I read in his Bible where Jesus said, you've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. And I remember thinking, well, that's good. I haven't committed adultery, so if there's a heaven, I'll make it there. And then I read the words after that where Jesus said, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And it was like an arrow hit my chest. I thought, man, I'm, I'm dead on judgment day. If I stand before God, I'm going to be damned in hell. And I was so conscious of my sin, sin that I'd hid from everyone except God and my own consciousness. And so that was when I understood why Christ died. It never made sense. A cure never makes sense unless we realize we have the disease. And that night I realized I had the disease of sin, saw Christ on the cross suffering for my sins, was broken at the thought of what God did for me and opening the door of everlasting life. And I found that the scriptures are true and it says Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that night I repented and I was made a brand new person in Christ. It was a Saul of Tarsus experience without the bright light and without the voice, but it was just as radical. I was a new creature in Christ as everyone is who comes through the door of the new birth. And uh, everything looked different. The flowers looked different. The trees looked different. The sky looked different. The flowers blossomed to his glory. The, the trees raised their arms in praise. The birds sung his praises. So uh, that, that experience set me on a path to reach out to everybody I knew to tell them there's an answer to this horror of death. That God's opened the door to the cell. We're waiting to die. We need no longer stay on death row. We can conquer death through, uh, through the gospel. Well, amen. Thank you, uh, brother, for that beautiful testimony. Well, I, I actually was was raised in the church, but one of the first opportunities I had to be able to witness was with Chad out in Mexico. And um, we had approached a, uh, a chef at a taco stand, and that was who Chad wanted me to, to do the good person test to. And I remember I was terrified. The guy didn't even speak that good of English. And so I was pacing back and forth in this little alleyway, just rehearsing it in my head. I was so nervous. And my question for you is, like you were talking about, the world is um, it's disease-ridden and that's sin. And their destination is hell, apart from Jesus Christ. So my question is, why are we so afraid to tell these people about the cure? Why are Christians not out witnessing? Why are they not out sharing their faith? Well, there's something within each of us that hates rejection. You know, I give out gospel tracts, and if I can give a thousand tracts out and be just booming with boldness, and someone says, no, I go, please, please take my tract. That's what I'm like inside. Um, we're fearful of rejection. We don't want people to think ill of us. We don't want to be turned down by people. That's part of it. The other part is it's very spiritual. I've had guys, the, a friend of mine is a Navy SEAL, very, very courageous guy, but when I said to him, you want to come up and preach uh, at Huntington Beach, he said it was worse than jumping out of a plane when he was parachuting. He was just so scared. And it really is a spirit of fear that comes at us. And, and what we've got to do is be like a firefighter who's scared as he sees a woman on the fifth story with her kids clinging to her clothing as she's leaning out a window screaming for help as flames are beginning to catch her clothing on fire. He's got to climb a ladder that's like 60 feet high, and he's got to reach out and take those kids and take that woman and pull them to safety. So what he's got to do is ignore his fears. He's a firefighter. He doesn't listen to fear. 
He thinks about the fate of that woman and those two children. And that's what we have got to do as Christians. Others having compassion, making a difference, pulling them from the fire, having compassion. That's the key. And what I like to say to Christians who have a battle with fear is that don't pray for less fear, pray for more love, because that's the answer. If you love, you'll conquer your fears. Perfect love casts out all fear. So realize you're like a firefighter and you cannot afford to listen to your fears or you cannot call yourself a firefighter. Amen to that. And, you know, I would love to, I guess we've brought up the good person test a number of times and we haven't really expressed yet what that is. And hopefully, you know, if you're listening to the Good Fight Radio Show, you guys have heard it once or twice or 20 times. But nonetheless, I would love not only to express what it is so people understand what we're talking about in terms of getting to the gospel this way, but also where it came from. Yeah, we listen. Uh, we live in a, a, an age of moral relativism where people say there are no absolutes and uh, if it feels good, do it. What's good for you is good for me. What's not good for you is not good for me. Whatever, who cares? There's no right or wrong. That's a philosophy that's embraced by atheists. And a lot of people who are idolaters, every man does that which is right, right in his own eyes. It's from the book of Judges. But if you read the preceding verse in the book of Judges, it speaks of a man, I can't remember who it was, Micah had his idols. He had a little group of idols that he prayed to. And then it says, in those days there was no king, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And so we live in a nation that's idolatrous. Now, we don't make little idols with our hands, little dumb idols. We make idols with our mind. Most people in America have a concept of God. Even an atheist has a concept of God. He images a God in his imagination, and then he says, I don't like that, and tosses it. That image doesn't exist. It's a figment of his imagination. And so when you make up your own God, then you can do that which is right in your own eyes. And when you can do that which is right in your own eyes, that means if there's no moral absolutes, pornography is okay. Guilt-free fornication is okay. There's no right, no wrong, no God, no judgment, Danny. If there is a God, he's not angry at sin because that's the concept or what you conceive God to be like in the imagination. What we must do is show the sinner there are moral absolutes. He's like a man sinking in quicksand. If he's not going to reach up to you, you've got to reach down to him and take hold of him because he doesn't see his danger. He's like a guy that's throwing a frisbee around with his friends, but it's not a frisbee. It's a hand grenade with a pin pulled out. So this guy is in great danger. So what we've got to do is show him his danger. And the way to do it is to give him a definition of good. Now, I think there's probably three great errors that humanity makes about God. One is that they think God is good. And because God is good, if there's a judgment day, uh, I'll be fine because God is good. And what they're doing is actually embracing that which will be the death, death of them. If God is good, that's not good for me. It's bad for me because if God is good. He's going to make sure that justice is done. And he's going to judge down to the thoughts of the heart. You ask the world, what is a good person? Is a man good because he's never raped a woman? They might say, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, say the man would like to rape a woman, but he's scared of getting caught. Is he good then? Of course not. He's a rapist at heart. So we tend to look on the outward appearance and think someone's good. God sees the heart. God requires truth in the inward part. So number one, people don't understand the goodness of God. Number two is that they think that they are good. 
Why? Because they've got no moral absolute to judge themselves by. And number three, they think their goodness on judgment day is going to outweigh their badness if there is a judgment day. That's kind of subliminally, unconsciously what they're thinking. What we've got to do is kill the dragon. That dragon is relativism or commonly called self-righteousness, saying I'm a good, I'm a good person, saying I'm a good person. And God's given us a, a sword to do that. And it's in Mark 10, verse 17. We have a young man, a rich young man, a young ruler, come running to Jesus, and he said, Good master, what shall we do to what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's like a, an evangelist's dream or someone who cares about the lost. A wonderful dream. This man came running to Jesus. He was earnest. He knelt down. He was humble. He said, good master. He complimented Jesus. And then he asked the question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus do? He rebuked him. He reproved him. He said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And that's the issue at stake. And that's what you and I have got to do. Show sinners what good is. Give them a definition. Give them an absolute. Give them a rock to stand upon because the quicksand they're in is relative. Then what did Jesus do to show this man what good was? He said, you know the commandments. And then he did something very strange. He named five of the commandments but added one in there that most people miss. He said, you know the commandments, and he quoted five of them. And then he said, extort not. Right in the middle of the commandments, he said to this rich young man, extort not. Why did he do that? Well, I think this man was involved in extortion. He had gained his riches. I'm only surmising this. Arguably, he was. But why would Jesus drop it in there if, if he wasn't guilty? He was a self-righteous, wicked man who said that he had kept all those from his youth up. And he had done what was right in the eyes of God. He was self-righteous. No one's done what was right in the eyes of God. We're not morally perfect. And he had gained his money by extortion. He loved his money. And that's why he went away sorrowful, sorrowful for his rich. So what you and I have got to do is take that same law that Jesus did used and use it to turn upon the ungodly and slay his self-righteousness. And all you have to do to do that is say to someone, do you think you're a good person? What I've said sounds complicated, but it's simplified by that one question. Do you think you're a good person? And most people say, say yes, I am. Uh, the scriptures say, most every man will proclaim his own goodness. Proverbs says, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. They don't know what good is. And so what you've got to do is give them those stone commandments, that, written in stone. They're not going to change. They're eternal and say, okay, you think you're good. Let's compare you to the commandments. How many lies have you told? And what I do is I, I address lying, stealing, blasphemy, and lust. Why? Because they're sins that sinners acknowledge. They understand. If I talk about the Sabbath or even covetousness, uh, they'll be confused. They don't know what those things really mean. But when I talk about how many lies have you told, have you ever stolen something, have you ever used God's name in vain, they're able to understand it, and their conscience bears witness, the work of the law written upon their heart. Paul said, by the law is the knowledge of sin. He said, I had not known sin, but by the law. So that's the good test, just saying to someone, do you think you're a good person, and then taking them through the commandments, giving them their own judgment day, so they'll see the need of the Savior. Well, well thank you, Ray. Again, we, um, 
we urge you guys to learn more about this method uh, because I know we can all testify how much it's changed our lives incorporating it into our witness. But uh, I had an important question for you, Ray. With someone who evangelizes as much as you, you make it apparent to note um, how your, your personal Bible devotion and how you read the Bible daily without failure. My question is, why is it important for a Christian to read the Bible, especially an evangelist? What's the need to grow in our own personal spiritual life, especially if we're out sharing our faith? Well, same reason you eat food when in the natural. If you don't eat food <laughs> in the natural, you're going to be a real skinny, malnutrition person that's going to die very young because God's created us not only to enjoy good food, but for the food to give us nourishment and cause us to grow. You know, years ago, I determined as soon as I became a Christian, I was going to read the Bible every day without fail. For nearly 50 years, 49 years or something like that, I've done that. Never a day goes by when I don't read the Word. Um, and there's a reason for that. I'm a Christian. I esteem God's word more than my necessary food, as Job said. I want to fulfill the requirements of Psalm 1 so I can read the benefits of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God both day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper if he meditates on the law of God both day and night. Let me tell you what I do to read the word. Um, I have rigged up a, a system. It's kind of almost like this. See this microphone? It moves. Well, I got a piece of wood and nailed it into a bed head. I've got a really good wife. And I got an iPod and got the Bible on it and put it on scroll and put a backlight so I could read it at night. And so I've angled that iPod like that. So when I lay my head on my pillow, I just reach up and go click, play. And it scrolls through scripture. And I just keep reading scripture while I'm lying my head on pillar in the darkness because of the backlight. And I get into my heart and soul. And so I, I, I remember as a brand new Christian, I remember the moment I did this, I looked at the Bible. And I was reading a big Bible at that time. It's really thick. And I remember saying to myself, I want to conquer this. It's all very well to say I know what the Bible says. But do I know what it doesn't say? To know what the Bible says about a certain subject, I've just got to read that passage. Oh, yeah, I know it says that. But if someone comes up to me and says, the Bible says a man can rape a woman and then marry her, I can say, no, it doesn't. Read the previous verse. And so that's where we need to be at because atheists tend to say that. They get a Bible verse and read it and say, that says, you know, that scripture that speaks about a man marrying a, a woman, if you read preceding verses, it said a rapist is to be put to death. It's not a commendation. It's a condemnation on rape. And if you read it, don't read the modern versions because they really mess it up. Just read King James or New King James, I think it is, and you'll see it was consensual sex that this couple had. And when it says he's to marry her, that is a shotgun wedding in Scripture 3,000 years ago. It's not saying he can marry her after he raped her. You know what? I have actually instituted something. When 180 Movie came out, I remember you did a speaking engagement pretty close to here. And when you talked about Psalm 1 specifically, you talked about also your three and a half years as a pastor and specifically something that you would ask them that would <laughs> fix a lot of the problems if they would just listen to. And I'd love for you to just explain that because I think it's a good piggyback from what you were just talking about. Yeah, I was a pastor for three and a half years. 
um, three and a half years, the time of tribulation. I hated it because uh, I'm an evangelist by nature. Um, if someone brings a sheep to me, it's got a sore leg. I just want to say, give me that sheep. Get on your feet and go and reproduce. A pastor, a shepherd at heart, will take that sheep in his arms and say, there, there, you poor sheep. That's not in me. There are people going to hell, and uh, I, I want to get as many Christians out there reaching out to the lost. So when I was a pastor, one thing I really despised was counseling. And the reason for that was there were many people within our church who were hearers of the word but not doers. I remember one couple came to see me because I was having marriage problems. and I spent 20 minutes talking about principles of marriage and then found out they were living in fornication. They just forgot to tell me that. And I, th I just, I thought, this is sickening. And I would get in my car and drive six miles to the heart of the city, preach the gospel, breathe in some oxygen, and then go back to my office to counsel some more people that didn't want to hear what I had to say. And so I developed one sentence, one question that helped me sort out the sheep from the goats. I remember one, someone would call out, hey, uh, Pastor Ray, can I come to you for counseling? I'd say, yeah, yeah, before we make an appointment, can I ask you one question? And I'd say, yeah, go ahead. I said, you read the Bible every day without fail. And they'd usually say, oh, yes, almost every day. I said, oh, you didn't seem to hear the question. Almost every day. Do you read the Bible every day without fail? And they'd say, well, not every day. I said, well, that's your problem. Psalm 1 says, if you meditate on the law of God both day and night, you'll be as a tree planted by rivers of water that will be strong, tall. Uh, your leaf won't wither. That is, you'll retain your vibrance and freshness as a Christian. You'll bring forth fruit in season. You'll have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And whatever you do will prosper because you meditate on the law of God both day and night. But because you're not a disciplined person, you're not a, you're not a disciple of Christ, someone who's disciplined, you don't feed on the word daily, so your roots are shallow. When the winds of adversity blow over your top, you need pastor to prop you up because you lose your peace and joy, your fruit doesn't remain, and whatever you're doing is not prospering because you're not meditating on the law of God both day and night. And that sorted out the sheep from the goats. And I just say to someone that's got problems, just go and read God's word daily and know what it says, and you won't need counseling. You'll say, I know what the word says on this. You know, I'm not to marry a non-Christian. I don't need counsel about that. Um, I know what the word says about being blameless or about this and that. So you're about to direct, get your direction directly from God's word. It'll be a lamp to your feet and light to your path. So that your pastor won't spend 80 hours a week counseling. Instead, he's seeking God for a fresh word to feed the saints or feed the sheep on Sunday. So um, that's, the set, that's the question I used to ask people. Yeah, it seems like uh, if you're reading the Word every day, you might get to Hebrews 13, where it says not to make it a burdensome task for your pastor. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, Ray, I know we only got about five minutes left, but I was just I was talking about this before we started recording as well, and I was just down in Mexico, and I, I want to try to give and many people the resources that you guys are putting out, and you guys have a ton of stuff in Spanish as well. But nonetheless, uh, you also had a movie that came out, and I think it had some of the, one of the most radical impacts, I, I think, in, in, our, in our day, specifically when it comes to abortion. And 180 Movie, by the way, you can have it, it's on sale right now online for free 99. You could just go to Living Waters or YouTube and type it in, and you can watch it completely free, 180 Movie. We just did it, and we were showing it to a missionary we sent down to Mexico just this last weekend, 
and the impact of it. And I would love for you to give just a little maybe summary of what it is and how that film even came about. Boy, it came out by an accident. I went to a local uh, college to do some filming on the religion of Adolf Hitler. Um, Hitler had a religion. He had his own Bible. He had 100,000 printed. Uh, he had uh, 12 commandments that he made up. Um, and so it was an inter interesting subject. So I went to this college and I said to someone, uh, uh, have you heard of Adolf Hitler? And he was a guy with dreadlocks and very colorful. And he says, yeah. I said, what do you think of him? He says, oh, what a wicked man. He slaughtered. He was guilty for the slaughter of 11 million people, gypsies and blacks and Jews and a homosexual, a very wicked man. And then I just off the top of my head said, so what do you think of, of abortion? And he said, it's a woman's right. I said, you Nazi, you want to kill babies in the womb? And we sort, had a sword fight for about five minutes, just back and forth. And I was filming this thinking, this is just amazing. And, uh, and then I said, okay, tell me this. It's okay, okay to kill a baby in the womb. When? Tell me. And he said, uh, and he couldn't answer it. He just, just couldn't answer when it was okay to kill a baby in the womb. And he walked off furious and frustrated. And I remember as he walked off, I filmed him and I zoomed up and I thought, whoa, this is so powerful. And then I looked down to turn the camera off and I heard, and it said camera on. And I realized, because I was in complete sunlight and stepped under a tree, that when I turned the camera on, I actually turned it off and I missed that interview. And I was so embarrassed and so disappointed. I didn't tell you what the ministry, what a dumb thing I'd done. But then I began thinking, that guy's mouth was stopped when I said to him, it's okay to kill a baby in the womb? When? Because his conscience wouldn't allow him to say oh, it's okay. And so I went back with a camera and made sure it was switched on and got a lot more interviews and uh, eight more people from around the country uh, changed their minds on camera. They were adamantly pro-abortion. They became pro-life because of that one question. And the question actually stirs up the conscience to do its duty. And so it's very powerful. Uh, I think it's had, what, five or six million views uh, on YouTube. And we gave away, I think, a million or half a million DVDs around the country. And we've got testimonies from people whose children were saved because they watched that movie and changed their mind about killing the baby in the womb. So we're very grateful to God for that. But it did come out of something that was a failure. <laughs> yeah, well... The Lord obviously used it. And, you know, actually, we came out, and I, and hopefully I can plug a couple other videos that you've done that have just been excellent. And also, go to Living Waters. Go to the YouTube channel, because if you're nervous about witnessing, as Nico was talking about, you can listen to Ray and all different types of people that he's sharing the gospel with, whether it's transgenders or atheists or Mormons. There's just clip after clip, and I encourage you guys, and it's something that I do before we go out, I'll just press play on a playlist and just let it go and listen to a bunch of different ways to share the gospel because it always gets back to the same thing. And so I, I think that's... Dad, two of us actually go out. I go out by twos. This is the one that goes out with me. My dog. <laughs> I think I might have even heard dog your dog during the interview. The gets, gets me my uh, interviews. I just ride up to people and go, oh, my dog with sunglasses. Suddenly we're friends because of the dog. So it's a great <laughs> way to reach out. And the YouTube channel just passed 169 million views. So we're blown away by a channel. So we do encourage people to, to uh, share them and watch them and learn and get equipped. And can I show a, uh, one of our publications that nobody's really seen? Yeah. 
this is a uh, million dollars uh, bundle. It's actually a Gospel of John, which is upside down. Oh, Gospel wow. of John. Um, it's a hundred-page Gospel of John, and it's got no title, nothing on the spine, nothing on the back, and it looks so authentic. And our graphic artist did it. My editor said, you cannot do a book without a title and nothing on the spine and nothing on the back. I said, we're going to do it. So we made the mistake of ordering 50,000. We, we think they're going to go like hotcakes on a cold day in Alaska. Who's going to resist this when you say, hey, I've got a gift for you, a bundle of uh, hundreds. We're very excited about that. So people, if they sign up for our newsletter, uh, we'll be able to keep you uh, informed as to when this little fella's coming out. God bless you, brother. And thank you guys so much for sitting in with us and joining us at the Good Fight Radio Show alongside Nico Anessian. I'm Chad da- Davidson, and God bless you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.